Chapter Seven of East by West: A Journey in the Recess, Volume Two, by Henry W. Lucy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Seven: The Gibraltar of the East. It is a three hours' ride by rail from Kyoto to Kobe. The line is better patronized than that between Yokohama and Tokyo. It runs through a rich agricultural country and halfway touches Osaka. The Birmingham of Japan. The tall chimneys, vomiting smoke that hung like a cloud over the populous towns, had quite a familiar and homelike look. What was in no degree homelike was the conduct of the ticket collector, who at various stages of the short journey looked in to examine tickets. He entered bareheaded, bowing to the ground, and was most effusive in his thanks on returning the ticket after nipping it. Having seen ours once, he did not trouble us again, but never failed by a series of bows and smiles to comprehend us in his periodical examination, whilst at the same time intimating that he knew our tickets were all right. I am not sure that on the whole the British official's sharp cry of tickets and his rapid clutch at what you hold in your hand is not calculated to get through business more quickly. But by way of change, it was very pleasant to travel three hours in a railway carriage, surrounded, as it were, by a halo of smiles from the ticket collector. There was a school fete going forward at one of the towns on the route, and the station was beleaguered by hordes of children, many accompanied by their parents. I was much struck by the appearance of the station master here. Like his colleagues, he was dressed in uniform based on the English style. Unfortunately, he had drawn in the clothing lottery a pair of trousers of prodigious length. He had met the difficulty by the simple process of turning them up at the heels, and was now strutting about with a band of white calico lining reaching halfway to his knee. It seemed impossible to respect authority thus ludicrously arrayed. But he, at least, was unconscious of any drawbacks. He had doubtless, up to early manhood, gone about without any trousers at all, and felt he was now making up the average. Kobe is a pretty little town at the head of the inland sea. It is one of the foreign settlements, and has known what it was to have the fleets of England, France, and Holland cleared for action in its bay by way of assisting at the deliberations of the Japanese government. It is, perhaps, of all towns the least Japanese in its appearance. The streets are broad and straight, the houses of many stories are built of stone, and the banks and other buildings favour the impression that it is a western town. Of course, there is a Japanese quarter, but it is not closely in evidence as it is at Yokohama. We went aboard the Kiva at night and when we woke in the morning were already threading our way through the inland sea. It was fine weather by night and day, and we had full opportunity of enjoying the marvellous beauty of this great sea-lake. A panorama of countless islands was spread out, every one of different size and shape, some of the oddest. Most of the islands are uninhabited, as in truth are large stretches of the mainland skirting the sea. Here and there are little nests of houses huddled together in a convenient creek, up which junks and sampans can be run in rough weather. 
if the land seemed deserted the sea was alive with boats flitting hither and thither under what seemed dangerously heavy sail at night fires are lit in the stern of such fishing-boats as are out and twinkle afar like fireflies there is a wide field for discovery along this lonely and beautiful coast as a yachting ground it has unsurpassable attractions in respect of scenery it is like the kyles of butte with the duration of its beauty lengthened fiftyfold on both evenings that we steamed down the sea there was a sunset of rich beauty each totally different from the other no pen could describe the beauty of the sunsets in japan many fantastic names have been used as the title of books upon japan if i were writing a book on the country and wanted a title of that order i should call it sunset land nagasaki the last port usually touched at by visitors to japan going westward is also a foreign settlement but is altogether unlike kobe the foreigners stretch their houses on the crescent facing the bay and on the hill behind nagasaki proper lies over the bridges to the left and is not at all easy to find we undertook to discover it by walking and found ourselves in some narrow dirty streets by the water's edge jinrikishas rescued us and took us into the town which lay in quite another quarter many of the houses are built over ditches canals and other more or less undesirable waterways this gives the place a squalid appearance which is nowhere relieved by signs of affluence nagasaki is i am told in a poor way just now its most prosperous local industry is the carving of tortoiseshell a larger mine of wealth is found in the coal mines which are not far distant nagasaki is the great coaling station of japan the coal is fairly good and cheap costing about seven shillings a ton at the pit's mouth the coaling of a big steamer is a curious and interesting sight which may be watched with more comfort since nagasaki coal possesses the curious quality of being comparatively free from dust an innumerable army of coolies are engaged fully one-half being women they stand almost shoulder to shoulder in a line extending from the hold of the collier to the coal hole of the steamer the coal is filled in small baskets which are handed along the living line with incredible rapidity the human chain works as regularly as swiftly and much upon the same principle as the grain elevator on a quiet sunday evening the fourth day after leaving nagasaki we stole into hong kong harbour it was almost a pitch-dark night and there were some anxious moments for the captain on the bridge making his way through the narrow strait that leads from sea to harbour the difficulty was increased by the number of sampans and junks gliding about not every one with a light our captain had a great respect for the sailing qualities of the chinese skippers the japanese sampans and junks hang about the pathway of a big steamer and trust to it to keep clear of them sometimes spoiling their chances by altering their course at the last moment the best thing to do with a chinaman the captain found was to trust him and leave him alone still he was apt to get perilously near 
and on a dark night a procession of junks crossing and recrossing the bows is a little embarrassing so we glided along half speed over the still dark waters the silence broken only by the chant of the man throwing the lead the cry of the lookout from the bows and the low voice of the captain directing the steering hong kong lay right ahead long rows of lights against the dark shadow of the hill on which it stands one light far up the hill was in motion doubtless the lamps of the carriage of some distant diner out returning homewards this was the only sign of life in the town for the rest the long rows of lights were fixed and a weird silence brooded over the town we anchored at the buoy for the night and going ashore in the morning found that warm welcome from utter strangers which is one of the characteristics of englishmen in the east that we were going to stay only forty hours in the place was made a matter of personal lamentation though it was admitted that all hong kong had to show the foreigners might easily be seen in a day it is a lively bustling town though as compared with its former bounding prosperity ichabod is written on its wall it is the same story here as at yokohama shanghai and other outposts of eastern trade which english people have coolly appropriated in the earlier days about the time that jos sedley was collector at boggley waller and for some years after fortunes were made by british merchants at hong kong making princely incomes they lived in princely style and shared their good fortune with their clerks those were the days when messes flourished and the whole commercial establishment sat down to sumptuous meals provided by the head of the house this patriarchal way of living has vanished with fifty per cent profits and the junior mess is but a tradition still if competition and restricted trade have cut down profits hong kong does a snug business and some of the merchants retain at least in their private houses the old princely style of living the population is of course chiefly composed of chinese who crowd their quarter in a manner which seems to be free from sanitary restrictions the danger of this state is not wholly unrecognized and i heard one cheerful resident confidently predict that within two years an epidemic would break out which would decimate the population the climate in summer is unbearably hot for europeans and to-day albeit we are within measurable distance of christmas the thermometer stands at eighty degrees happily hong kong has its simla close at hand the peak a hill eighteen hundred feet high standing at the back of the town is the regular residence of the european community during the summer months the governor has a fine house there and round it are grouped the pretty bungalows of the merchants it is a magnificent sight for a residence commanding a far-reaching view of the landlocked bay and ships that ever come and go it is not an easy journey to make night and morning but that is rather the affair of the chairmen an englishman would never think of walking to the peak he hires a chair and is carried up in lordly ease by two gaunt and perspiring chinamen the jinrikisha has made its way hither but owing to the conformation of the ground it has little chance against the chair following the long street that skirts the bay the jinrikisha is well enough 
when it comes to going uptown where most of the private residences stand it becomes an impossible conveyance the chair is slung on two poles which are borne on the shoulders of two men it is comfortable enough but not so rapid as the jinrikisha though the chairmen easily make their five miles an hour on level road or coming downhill the governor's house is situated some way up the hill and from the terrace commands a fine view of the magnificent harbour the situation has its drawbacks owing to the incessant exchange of civilities on the part of the fleet it is bitterly said that the commodore never blows his nose but that the sound is re-echoed through the distant hills by the firing of one or more guns certainly the saluting is incessant and what between the movements of the commodore the visits of the general commanding the land forces and the arrivals and departures of foreign vessels the guns are going pretty much all day long after tiffin the governor drove us round by the happy valley and back through town comprising a comprehensive view of the colony and its outskirts the happy valley is a dip in the green hills to the east of the town the racecourse a popular resort of hong kong lies here sir george bowen who is setting himself with vigour to improve the place has in hand a scheme by which the centre of the racecourse will be drained and laid out as an ornamental garden this will be a vast addition to the attractions of the place but hong kong is already set in gardens of older if less straitly ordained principles wherever the eye turns aside from the business streets there is rich verdure trees full of leaf though now putting on their autumn tints hong kong was at the time of our visit much exercised by the imminence of war between china and france a condition of doubt dispelled two days after our departure by a formal communication from the chinese government announcing that france had forced war upon it and that hong kong merchants must look out for their own interests within forty-eight hours of this declaration being made well-informed residents of hong kong declined to believe that china meant business this arose less from an impartial and judicial view of the circumstances than from habitual contempt and dislike of the chinaman in the eyes of the haughty alien who lives upon his soil the chinaman is not a sufficiently elevated being even to go to war he was only scheming making believe and at the last moment would put his pigtail between his legs and run away it is not for us casual callers-in to judge of the reasonableness of the state of things suffice it to note that english residents at hong kong have a distinct abhorrence for the chinese they speak of them as if they were beasts and indeed they so literally characterize them i have seen an englishman walking along queen's road dispose of a group of chairmen who proffered him their services by hitting them on their knuckles or whatever portion of their body happened to be under his stick when it smartly fell if they had been a pack of dogs they could not have been more roughly or contemptuously dispersed yet the good qualities of the chinese will upon persistent questioning be fully admitted by the settler the chinese domestic servant is perhaps the best in the world the night after our arrival we dined in the house of an english gentleman where the whole domestic establishment was composed of chinese the dinner was excellently cooked and the service simply perfect 
four chinamen waited upon a party of nine they were picturesquely dressed in blue cotton gowns the flowing sleeve turned up with spotless white and their long pigtails falling between their shoulders they moved about noiselessly on sandalled feet and were always at hand when wanted in higher grades of life the quiet supremacy of the chinaman is also acknowledged he is a born merchant whether on a small scale behind the counter or on a larger in an office it is grudgingly admitted that he is absolutely reliable his word being as good as some people's bond it is added that this is due not to any honesty but to shrewd calculation and deliberate conviction that in matters of trade honesty is the best policy the finest thoroughfare in hong kong is named after a late governor whose name will be kept green as long as kennedy road looks out over the bay i heard a great deal about the last governor sir john pope hennessy but i did not hear any proposal to name a street or square after him the present governor sir george bowen has been in office less than a year and has thus early succeeded in obtaining the kind regard of the community he has been called upon to govern sir george has grown grey in the colonial service but he brings to hong kong an undiminished stock of vigour in addition to the improvements in the racecourse already referred to he has projected the widening and extension of the prior as the main street skirting the bay is called in addition it is proposed to spend over a million dollars in improving the sanitary condition of the colony a work which unless the apprehensions of the cheerful colonist quoted be overstrained cannot be completed too soon beyond this the governor has submitted to the home government a comprehensive scheme of reform in the constitution of the executive and legislative councils of hong kong and what is more has obtained the sanction of the home government to its main provisions the fly in the ointment of general content is the peremptory refusal of the colonial office to sanction the appointment of a military instructor for the police the english community of hong kong do not regard with perfect repose their position as mere units in the population they would feel more at ease if the police a fine body of men chiefly sikhs were trained to arms as a test of their sincerity they were willing to pay the salary of a competent instructor and the council unanimously passed a resolution to that effect but the colonial office vetoed the proposition and there is some angry talk at hong kong about this interference with the purely local affairs of the colony like most colonists the hong kong settlers are good honest uncompromising tories fretful under the domination of a liberal ministry which when questions arise between natives and colonists unaccountably insists upon the just claims of natives being considered and so flouting british interests but in this matter of a military instructor of the police they are strong home rulers and their case is commended to the sympathy of mr healy and mr bigger the governor has recently returned from a tour through china as far as pekin which was marked by an incident that might have had serious international consequences his excellency stayed at tea-houses when beyond the field of foreign hotels waking up in one of these in the early morning he found his watch had disappeared 
reaching out for his trousers with intent to go and make inquiries he found that these also had a gone away in the eigenweit the governor is a burly man of straightforward speech and looks much more like a british admiral of the old school than a civilian in the diplomatic service according to common report in hong kong the spectacle of his semi-clad excellency stamping round the tea-house in search of his trousers and frankly expressing his opinion of the chinese in general and the thief in particular was quite awesome correspondence on the subject is i believe still going forward but is not likely to be presented to parliament End of chapter seven